Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Hello! <laughs> Welcome to uh, the Left a Slip podcast with a host, Colin Orton, he, him, his. Another host, Allison Gropey, she, her, hers-ish. Um, a cat somewhere in the call and our new most illustrious guest. Oh, hi. Uh, Shelby Sola, she, her, hers. Welcome, Shelby. Uh, so today... We have um, the great displeasure uh, of discussing the book, A Generation of Sociopaths by Bruce Gibney, author and venture capitalist. <sighs> yeah, I don't know if we discussed it at all in our last, in our we preface. Did we did not. Well, because I, I didn't know at first that this was going to be a book that I would viscerally dislike. I thought, oh, a generation of sociopaths. Maybe there'll be some interesting hypotheses. Mm, um, not yeah, sure. I had high hopes and... It was, I think it was also like my idea. And <laughs> now I'm sorry that no. I made a screen. Uh, no, I think I, I think I suggested it. Um, and the reason I, uh, I think I did so is because I was like, oh, well, you know, it could be fun to like poke, uh, poke at his like, oh, this seems generalizing. This seems like a, you know, like a pop read could be funny to talk about as like a, a, a break for our brains. And then I actually started reading it and Bruce Gibney just punched me in the brain like four or five separate times mm -hmm. while I did the reading. This dude sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, no, I was going to say like, that's all there is to say. Like this dude sucks. <laughs> today. So we're covering the suckish dude, Bruce Cannon Gibney's book, A Generation of Sociopaths, How the Baby Boomers Betrayed America. The general thesis of which is, all boomers are sociopaths. Basically, he blames the decline of modern American capitalism on not any large socio-political factors or economic factors or like global factors, but instead specifically on the personality traits of one generation, the baby boomers. A method of analysis with no flaws, as far as I can tell. Yeah, because as we know, literally every member of a single group exhibits exactly the same traits for exactly the same reasons in all, as Ken and Gibney. <laughs> in all fairness, he does account for privilege. Which yeah, I did think that. Okay, we'll get into we'll it. We'll get into it. Um, today we're discussing chapters one through five, uh, The View from 1946, Bringing Up Boomer, Vietnam and the Emerging Boomer Identity. <laughs> Empire of Self, which sounds like it'd be an amazing Rage Against the Machine album, and <laughs> Science and Sentimentality. Um, but first, I'm sure Colin has some news, and also we should introduce our guest a little bit. Yeah. Provide um, some background. So, Shelby, we know each other uh, because we did college improv together for four, uh, three years, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. And now you've just been on air. <laughs> Everyone knows you did college improv. <laughs> 
Uh, so what are you up to these days? I am a playwright and I, I don't know if I can say that like, this is my, like that I have a professional tie to it by any means, but I like talking about fat liberation a lot. So those are kind of like my major interests. Excellent. I, I would definitely say you're a, like a fat liberation activist for sure. Yeah. Or aspiring. I'm on my way there. We're all aspiring toward activism. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that just the way. Ain't that just the way. Um, well, Shelby, if you, uh, um, we're about to inundate your brain with some depressing news. Or rather, so Colin is while I cry. We have a news segment, which is where there's so much going on. I just rapid fire news at uh, uh, poor Al here and also whatever guest happens to be on the show. I will leave time uh, for uh, color commentary, uh, but I'm going to set a timer because these news segments do drag on. And uh, we have uh, a roast of uh, Bruce Cannon Gibney, uh, which beware of white men with three names. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let me, okay, I'm going to hydrate for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want the viewers to know, listeners, I guess, that Colin himself is setting the timer and I'm very proud. Let us begin. It's time to pray. Um, okay. In local news... Uh, New, New York news. We're all New Yorkers, uh, the three of us. And uh, there have been uh, every Saturday for the last week. Uh, so twice uh, today and last Saturday, uh, anti-vax rallies in Manhattan. Uh, the last one was on 86th Street last Saturday. I don't know where the one today is, but the last one was hosted by Nick Fuentes's, uh, um, I think it's America First group, uh, colloquially known by their 4chan name, The Groypers. That group chanted, you're gay, you're gay, and brandished <laughs> crucifixes at anti-fascists um, before uh, about 30 NYPD officers came to uh, protect them and escort yeah. them uh, out of uh their rally. Uh, they marched around uh, the Upper East Side for a while and then went home, uh, but not before uh, being Nazis for about two and a half hours on a Saturday in New York. That's the most Upper East Side thing I've ever heard, honestly. <laughs> you're gay! You're gay! Just like holding it. Oh, Lord. Literally brandishing like the crucifixes with like the little bronze Jesuses on the them. The little shirtless? Yeah, yeah. Ripped bronze Jesus? <laughs> ripped white Jesus? Yeah. Um, oh, in other news, so today is November 20th, and yesterday uh the jury decided oh god that Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent on uh, or rather not guilty on all charges which is not a surprise given the way that the american judicial system works what is a surprise is that Joe Biden came forward and gave a public statement on it saying the American judicial system works. No, no, it does not, Joe. <laughs> that was his take on the Kyle Rittenhouse. Listen, in his defense, maybe he was still feeling groggy from his colonoscopy. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. We had our first female president uh, for about like five hours yesterday uh, while Biden got his colonoscopy. That's so depressing. <laughs> That's so upsetting. 
I didn't even know. And that just distracted me. From I texted Paula and I was like, that's the most Veep plot line that could possibly exist. Art imitates life. Veep, you know? Veep has huge Biden administration energy. Like the Trump administration was way too unhinged to be Veep. But the Biden administration is like trying to get back to Veep. Mm. Oh my God. Uh, Kamala Harris is Selena Meyer. Like I fully <laughs> think that she has similar personality traits. I highly recommend it's it fucking rules. Uh, cool, cool, cool. So in other news, you're all familiar with Steve Bannon. Regrettably. Very handsome man. So. Oh, uh, uh, um, definitely not <laughs> a man who bought a castle. Is the word that comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, teen heartthrob Steve Bannon, who uh, bought an Italian villa to train a fascist militia in before the Italian government uh, kicked him out because um, you can't train fascist militias in the Italian countryside. That's what Italian cities are for. Um, <laughs> you piece of shit. Okay. <laughs> Berlusconi, literally. Um, so the Justice Department, he surrendered to the FBI. Uh, last week because he uh, refused to comply with a congressional uh, subpoena and was charged with two counts of contempt of Congress for just not showing up when Congress told him to. And so the FBI tracked his ass down, (laughs) which like, again, I'm never one to cheer for the FBI, which I feel like I have to say this because the FBI do be grabbing Bannon from time to time, (laughs) but it's funny when it happens, you know? Yeah, we can give them credit for this one small thing. We can be both anti-FBI and anti-Bannon. We can rejoice when the two meet in the middle. (laughs) Speaking of teen heartthrobs, uh, are you familiar with the anime Attack on Titan? What? Where is this going? I have never watched an anime in my entire life. And I don't say that because I don't want to, but it just is not a medium that I've uh, dabbled with. Are you familiar with Paul Gosar's edited Attack on Titan intro? Nope, not ringing it. So Congressman Paul Gosar uh, edited the Attack on Titan intro uh, where the premise of the show is that they live in a big city city. where big, big monsters are attacking from the outside and they can only be killed by slashing at the back of their neck. So uh, with a sword. So he he edited his face onto the little boy child who does the neck slashing. And he edited uh, AOC's face onto the big monster who gets neck slashed. Um, And uh, so... This received some traction on the internet. Yeah. uh, Because... It's deranged. Also, the fact that it's Attack on Titan is very funny. So he took it down, citing that he felt remorse. And then when uh, for for the people who he indirectly threatened with it. uh, And then when Congress uh, still said that they were going to censure him, he uploaded it anyway. Uh, He re-uploaded it. Uh, And so he uh, received the first congressional censure in years um, which doesn't actually have, like, any uh, impact on him. For an Attack on Titan meme, though? Correct. Um, which is basically where you have to stand before the entire House of Representatives. Or I believe it's the entire House. maybe the Senate as well. But they, you stand in front of them and they go, you're a bad boy. You're a bad boy. They basically just give you a reprimand. 
How is um, like this the final straw? Like how are <laughs> I feel like other Congress people have been doing this shit listen for years. How is this what <laughs> him in tr- a lashing? <laughs> we can excuse Lauren Boebert giving illegal after dark tours to uh January 6th insurrectionists. Uh, to show draw them where the people's offices are, but we draw the line at anime. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm fairly sure Lauren Boebert said something deranged uh, recently, also, but we don't have time for that. Oh, um, get Tucker Carlson's face off the screen right now. In other local news, um, a judge on last Friday uh, vacated a Staten Island man's 2018 drug conviction, citing body camera footage that appears to show an NYPD officer planting marijuana on him. Wow. Yep. Yep. Uh, which the title of this is judge tosses Staten Island man's conviction following NYPD drug planting allegations. This is from Gothamist, which is a pretty fucking left-wing publishing but I love that even when it's a video of a cop dropping a bag of weed <laughs> into some like it's still allegations, it's still allegations, which like, yeah, innocent until proven guilty. But it's still funny that like video even left wing, even left wing columns have to like legally give cops the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I've started getting very angry when I see the word allegation or <laughs> when it's like so it's literally obvious that it happened. This is why I might need to quit the internet for a while because I've just developed some new pet peeves that are driving me insane. Uh, Here's a fun one. Uh, So on November 8th of last month, uh, this story from Mother Jones surfaced, which, so you know how the the budget has been a huge fucking deal? Yes. Uh, The huge infrastructure bill, budget talks, blah, 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 blah. Um, So Joe Manchin, in the middle of budget talks, scored a book deal. What? Yep. For what kind of book? I believe it's a biography. Why? <laughs> well, I mean, he's got to keep his yacht fueled up. <laughs> he's never yacht written. Prices have really risen. It's it's probably a hardship for him. Yeah, you know, gotta stay on that grind. Everyone needs a side gig these days. Um. Oh. Yeah, he has never written a book before. Um. But uh, yeah, he. Never had a literate thought before either, but you know, there's no time like the present. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He also um, gently drove his Maserati into uh, protesters recently. Gently? Yeah, only at like four. Like a love tap. (laughs) Well, they were they were lined up in front of his car to prevent him from leaving uh, the parking garage he was in, saying um, things along the lines of uh, "You motherfucker, uh, you." are stopping climate change legislation. We don't want to die. And so he just gently tapped the gas on his Maserati until they got out of the way, (laughs) which is certainly one way to deal with climate change protesters. The image is vaguely, not even vaguely, it's comedic. Just a little beep, beep. Of of a uh, a senator who um, owns massive shares in a coal mining company that his son also runs. Just slowly tapping his way away from in pedestrians. His Maserati, his Maserati gently bumping into climate change protesters with the bumper of his sports car. Yeah. It's a metaphor. <laughs> I just can't imagine watching. Well, first of all, the practicality of owning a Maserati in West Virginia. I mean, 
country roads. That doesn't seem like a an off-road vehicle. I, I don't think Joe Manchin has been on a country road in decades. I don't think that man has driven a dirt road <laughs> in fucking years. And uh, oh, one other thing. Are you familiar with the Getty family? Oh, yes, I think I know where this is going. Um, so the, Actually, I'm not. the Getty family are uh, San Francisco socialites um, okay. uh, who are descendants of uh, the Getty oil barons who were um, in the first half of the 20th century, the wealthiest family in America. Okay. They're still billionaires, like billionaire billionaires. Um, but Ivy Getty, model and billionaire heiress, recently got married and Nancy Pelosi officiated her wedding. What? Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> That's a great fucking question. Because they're besties. What? <laughs> what? You know, it might not be great optics. It's horrible optics. For this, for... Anything. <laughs> but has Nancy ever really cared about optics? That's fair. You know, mm. Nancy... Nancy has always kind of had a little bit of a Hunger Games thing going on. Come into my enormous mansion home while people are being evicted and starving and look at my three fridges. She also wore a gold blazer. Oh. Like a, like a, like a metallic, like actual gold. Yeah, it's a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, the aesthetics of the ceremony were very Hunger Games. Like, oh, I'm no. going gonna, gonna to show you some pictures, Al. Uh, and oh, just wow. describe to the audience uh, what, what you're seeing here from them. Okay, so this is them at the altar, Pelosi, in this weird, like, it's giving me Iris Van Herpen metallic sort of indented blazer that does look like something that could be worn by either a Gram- an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar. It looks like an Oscar. <laughs> Um, the husband looks like discount Timothy Chalamet, but with really a stronger that jawline. The thing is, aesthetically, I love the dress and I love the weird, gaudy, oblong crown. Yeah. But it is giving like dystopian princess that made her her wedding veil and crown out of like styrene plastic, like f- found in the midst of the garbage heaps. She does. Yeah, you, like, hit, you hit the nail on the head with that. <laughs> The color palette's delicious, but um, Nancy Pelosi's smile is haunting. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Nancy's wearing a skirt over pants, which is an interesting choice. Very 2000s Disney. It's giving me Richelieu energy. Yes. <laughs> it's giving me Versailles in a bad way. Mmm, the modern Versailles, perhaps. <laughs> oh, they do have this, like very French color palette on the rug that's draped across the steps. It's very Robin blues and salmon pinks. Yeah. And these massive flower arrangements, which I, I will say, I do like those. Although the one she's holding in her hand is uh, like, it's dead. Is that hideous. intentional? Yes. That's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> and all these flowers around, but her bridal bouquet is dead twigs. <laughs> Maybe oh it's social God. commentary. Maybe I mean, it really is like a Lady Gaga outfit. Her, <laughs> her like, yeah. It does kind of look like the, the, the glass one or like the disco ball Lady Gaga outfit. Yeah, it's really, it's the headdress that's uh, invoking Gaga. Dark Crystal meets uh, Iconopop 
meets exactly dark crystal <laughs> yeah big skexy vibes from this wedding this is <laughs> this is a matter no nancy pelosi is the skexy in this situation <laughs> this is a metaphor for everything that's going on in our nation today anyway uh, the timer rang a while ago <laughs> so are we ready um to swan dive into um pure neoliberal propaganda ready as i'll ever be Mm. all right i'm not strong enough so let's start with chapter one. Oh, oh no let's start with the intro yes. first al let's begin with the forward slash introduction and then just to briefly oh he's lighting a candle we're gonna get moody up in here i i'm gonna get some pumpkin spice scent <laughs> going uh because i need something uh to calm me to soothe me some modicum of joy um i'd like to just briefly like give a synopsis of what each chapter is going to be just in case we don't make it to, through all five today. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the forward and introduction, mm-hmm. Gibney introduces the thesis of this book as basically, well, here's when I was reading it, I tried to be like, no, he's not going to try and medically diagnose all boomers as sociopaths. Is he? He kind of is. Yeah. (laughs) See, you go in thinking, surely it's a metaphor. Yeah. Surely he's being figurative. It doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, that's just, he's, he's going there. He's doing it. I was like, is he trying? I mean, I get it if he's trying to prove like a pattern of behavior or if he's just trying to, like he's just adjacent, like, gesturing towards sociopathy is like something like this, but no, um, (laughs) each of these chapters is basically providing evidence as to why a diagnosis of sociopathy is. I also want to point out two things first. Um, he references the DSM five a lot constantly, which is not only outdated was published in 2013 and was widely critiqued when published for misattributing mental diagnoses to like not serious patterns of behavior. Like even when it was published, people were like, you are, you are giving diagnoses and very volatile terms to patterns of behavior that are really harmless. And, and also these days, the diagnosis sociopath is not, it's not a diagnosis that is given anymore. That's not even a thing. It's, Antisocial personality disorder. It's antisocial personality disorder, but that doesn't even encapsulate what he's defining when he says sociopath. He's talking about, like, fucking... Hannibal Lecter is... Like... Yeah. Mm, Hannibal Lecter, fucking... What's the guy from Amer- American Psycho? Oh, yeah. Bateman? Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Bateman. That's okay. it. Mm-hmm. He... I have a little starred section. He is basically trying to prove... Where is it? So bad. He um at one point uh he has a graph that just demonstrates the number of boomers rising. The fucking graphs are so dumb and out of place. <laughs> it rules. Oh, it's so bad. I feel, we'll get into his background and why I feel like maybe he thinks he needs these graphs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just seem to be leaning on these graphs, but basically what he's trying to prove um throughout this book are three things that he thinks encapsulate what a sociopath is and it's um egocentrism self-esteem derived from personal gain power or pleasure goal setting based on personal gratification absence of pro-social internal standards etc lack of concern for the feelings needs or suffering of others 
and capacity for mutually intimate relationships as exploitation is a primary means of relating to others and disinhibition, irresponsibility, impulsivity, risk-taking and antagonism, which, okay. His basic argument is that enough boomers, and sometimes I'd argue he generalizes to most boomers exhibit these traits and this has affected public policy in a way that has essentially quote unquote ruined America. It's my, where I come across some resistance initially because it did happen a lot is that while I can see some examples of like, Oh, here is public policy that was clearly not made with the longevity of America in mind. That was not made with youth in mind, youth interests in mind. What does that mean that all boomers are sociopaths? No. You could accurately describe neoliberal ideology as sociopathic, but he doesn't. He specifically does the old capitalist trick of personal blame. Mm. It's not a matter of waste by enormous corporations. It's a matter of littering by tens of millions of individuals, you understand. And surely, if people just recycle more, climate change will sort itself out. If boomers were less selfish, maybe America wouldn't be suffering today. Exactly. It's And I think something else that we have to mention is that he mentions this like once and then never talks about it again. He's like, by the way, I'm also excluding all immigrants and all black people. And so this is just an indictment of white boomers, but he never talks about race again. So it doesn't even bring into the picture majorly impactful identities and socioeconomic policies that impact those demographics. He doesn't talk about how the, like the wealth accrued was derived specifically by exploitation of black and brown peoples, not just in the United States, but globally Mm -hmm. uh, during this period. He completely neglects imperialism, which I really love, because this personal responsibility, this personality argument is a great way of shifting focus away from class consciousness Mm -hmm. and awareness of things like racism and imperialism and instead onto the personalities of white boomers. It's his take is deeply flawed in an insidious way. Yeah, um, he is he really alleges that boomers wealth and and upward mobility is only from their parents' generations mm-hmm. policy making and not from the exploitation of black brown black and brown people and immigrants. It's mm-hmm. and then it he he like does that caveat at the beginning, maybe in like the foreword, and then never touches it again, never mentions any of those factors again. He takes the opportunity to suck the greatest generation's dick at every possible standpoint. It's like he mentions the period when the boomers were growing up and yet weren't yet in power, the period of this generation, like the 40s or the 60s, as like, he mentioned civil rights at one point, the civil rights movement and like the rights of people of color as a positive upward trend during the 40s through the 60s, which I mean, uh, and also, as you said, yes, he mentions, he makes that one little exception in the forward introduction to say like, oh, this doesn't apply to people of color 
since and most immigrants since they didn't experience the same trends as boomers that he's pointing to as evidence of sociopathy. And then I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think it's a red flag when apropos of nothing, black people are referred to as blacks very frequently. Uh, oh, it was written in 2017. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad that we're on the same page about that. It was yep. okay. very icky. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, this dude, uh, has a similar, like this dude comes off as the, the love child of, uh, Elon Musk and Ben Shapiro. Oh yeah. Um, oh, facts don't care about your feelings when he gets into the fucking, <clears throat> the uh, science chapter. He, he also cites Elon Musk as like an innovator and like gentleman scientist in the in like the uh following in the footsteps of like ben franklin and the other founding fathers which like he's more right than he understands given that elon musk is frantically trying to like you know how he has proposed a sort of indentured servitude for his uh hypothetical mars colony how if poor people um Poor people uh, can't pay for their trip to Mars. Don't worry. They can work it off once they get there, which is literally just indentured servitude. Like the thing with these gentlemen scientists is they had the free time to do the sort of fashionable science stuff that looked so cool at the time was because they only made money by exploiting the people below them on the social pyramid. Like... Oh, but you must remember, he, he has investments in SpaceX. He so. also has investments <laughs> in Palantir Technologies. Shelby, are you familiar with Palantir Technologies? That is the one that I am not familiar with, but it sounds like they make weapons. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with what it's named after? Uh, the Palantir in Lord of the Rings? <laughs> no, I am not. So the Palantir are seeing stones. It's a, it's a magic, uh, magic ball. It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's like a, you know, a crystal ball. But there's uh, Gandalf opposes their use because they are not all accounted for. You can see into any of the other seven of them with it and communicate over any length of distance with whoever else is holding it. But you don't know who has them all. So anyone could always be watching. This is the Pippin goes crazy orb. Correct. Pippin grabs the orb uh, when, and sees. When, when Peregrine Took holds the orb, the eye of Sauron sees through it into him. How dare uh, you use his full name? Uh, his and, and, uh, and pillages his mind to try and get details of their quest. Fortunately, Pippin is an idiot and knows nothing. So... <laughs> So this is the company named after that. So this is the company who chose that as their fun, quirky name. They have a five, uh, I'm sorry, they have a $50 million uh, contract with ICE. Great. They also work with the CIA. <laughs> that, that tracks. Um, and they, uh, they do cyber surveillance. <sighs> I don't know. My chest just kind of hurts. Oh. <laughs> so... This man is citing like, don't worry, you can trust my insight. I, I, uh, I own a lot of stocks in deporting brown people and torture camps across the world. And future yeah, everything Mars. is bad. Facebook. <laughs> you mean meta? Airbnb, Lyft. Like, I feel like he should just not be talking about these. Yeah, all of his investments are in like the most nightmarish kind of company. Yeah. 
Just to provide some further, just some background, we've called him a venture capitalist who discusses investments briefly. Before we get into the chapter, let's, uh, here's just how he describes himself and his <laughs> qualifications to be making this broad reaching medical oh, diagnosis for the entire fucks. generation. <laughs> what qualifies me to write this book? I hope the evidence ultimately speaks for itself, rendering biographical details of only passing interest. Since we're at the beginning, here's my backstory. I spent most of my career in finance, first at a hedge fund and then at a venture capital firm. Both jobs required me to think about where the markets would go, what companies might succeed, and by necessity about the American future and the forcing shaping, blah, blah, blah. About half of my career was spent during some kind of recession, crisis, and pseudo-recovery. Uh, he's still, years of economic mediocrity notwithstanding, there are always a something seemed to be a good few things to invest in if you were in the right place at the right time. For me in 1998, that thing was PayPal. My college roommate co-founded the company and I got uh, shares. Fucking shut up. Um, give me. In 2004, it was Facebook. My then boss made the first outside investment in the social network and I worked as a junior associate on part of that deal. Later, I made personal investments in SpaceX, Lyft, Palantir, and DeepMind. So this is an extremely wealthy finance bro who shared a dorm with his own words, the next Mark Zuckerberg, and is trying to, uh, what is, yeah, okay. He he doesn't, if I recall correctly, he does not mention, like, his parents having money or anything, right? I would wager that they do. I think it's implied. If you shared a dorm with the guy who made PayPal, <laughs> I'm guessing. Oh, he's a Gen Xer. I did look that up because I was like, what the fuck is with this guy? Um, Peter Thiel is the founder of PayPal, uh, who is now mm. an, like a multi-billionaire. Mm-hmm. He's written one other book. Went to Stanford. His Stanford? other book is about the American court system. Oh boy, what qualification? Oh, I to hear what he has to say about that. Yeah, precisely. So yeah, peak shithead. Well, no, we've we've talked about some peak shitheads on this podcast. This is not peak peak shithead. This is just prepare for some neoliberal interesting. This this book is propaganda in a lot of ways. Uh, it's also a huge self report from Bruce, mm-hmm. which is very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like we should also mention that he cites the DSM five for like every chapter. But that's like the only psychological text that he cites. He does not bring in any other sources. He has other sources for like, you know, financial statistics. And he loves to quote philosophers. Wrong. Poorly, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he doesn't. He doesn't have (laughs) any other legitimate psychological scientific texts to back any of his statements up this book is what if you took the agreed upon truth of american society that hmm things are getting worse generally how and why and then you removed any actual fucking analysis of like well, maybe it's because the top, you know, 1% have siphoned out the entire wealth of the former middle class and most of the wealth of the lower class while deregulating the market and actively uh, encouraging uh, fascist groups because fascists are servants of capital as much as fucking neoliberals are. Um, 
while, you know, aggravating uh, the deeply racist society we live in for the past 70 fucking years, um, especially in the last 50. Uh, and what if you, instead of, you know, applying any kind of lens politically or economically, you just went, mm, how do I blame one group of people who are already so privileged that it doesn't fucking matter. It's like, hmm, who gets on my nerves the most? How can I vilify that? Frankly, I'm I'm really happy that he's blaming the baby boomers because I feel like there is an alternate universe where this man blames millennials somehow. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he doesn't like the young either, though. No, he describes them as coddled, I think. And he says that a lot of the traits of, a lot of the patterns of the boomers' self-interested um immediate gratification seeking behavior passed on to passed millennials on to, and zoomers. Yeah. Gen X was the one good generation. Guys. His generation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the only ones that were screwed and didn't deserve to be. Yeah. Because, exactly. Oh, these millennials and Gen Zers with their phones at the dinner table. <laughs> oh, I fucking dislike this. He does point out and accurately that, baby boomers are the people with the real problem with yeah. having cell phones out at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. That's like exclusively a, a boomer problem. We're going to get into like his weird, where did you, where, where does he get off? <laughs> like as the arbiter of what isn't is oh, not good parenting. I think he gets <laughs> off uh, once per chapter at a minimum <laughs> while writing this book. I think he's jerking it onto the page just a little bit. Okay. But chapter one, chapter one, the view from 1946. Uh, can I read the quote from Gustav Flaubert? Oh, um, because this quote is uh, nightmarish. <clears throat> Happiness is like a pox. Catch it too soon and it wrecks your constitution. So this is the chapter that baby boomers weren't beaten enough as children. That's his argument. Is that like... Oh, no, that's chapter two. Oh, fuck. <laughs> this, is, this is the argument that, oh, your childhood was too happy and it made you into a narcissist. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, just uh, for the sake of our audience, Shelby's just shaking her head like, like disgruntled, like looking <laughs> at this book. I have so many thoughts, but also my brain is just like a flat line because <laughs> it's just so it's so bleak. <laughs> it really is. Um, oh, yeah. This is basically just the chapter that does the majority of the fellatio for the greatest generation. Yeah, he really um, sucks off the greatest yeah. generation. Yeah. He really, really is like, y'all were set up so good. You were the largest generation. The, the boomers were the largest generation. This does, It talks about how all of the technological. He's basically saying, compared to what we have today, compared to the line of progression that we see today in technology and in American excellence, basically, um, we, while we are at a better place than the greatest generation was, that line is going slower and dipping. Uh, we are not on track to be as great as the greatest generation, greatest generation's America. Like, ooh. Um, Can so I read a quote that I think sums this up very well? Mm-hmm. Um, As we'll see, a swaddled youth fostered sociopathic entitlement and the temporary setbacks of the 1970s (laughs) for for white people in brackets, let's say that, provoked a generational tantrum from which we have yet to recover. I love describing Reaganomics as a generational tantrum. (sighs) 
I love describing the really um, watered down way to, to say it. It's also like a grossly uh, inept and uh, essentialist way of describing it. God, what a garbage book. This shit yeah. rules. Yeah. <laughs> Basic. Oh God! So he's basically there's three sections. It's it's only like a five page chapter, but just to go through it so we can move on to more heinous shit. Um, the sections are happier days, which is basically just saying you know when the boomers were babies, the Great Depression was over, World War Two was over, they had a childhood through one of the after a short dip most comparatively prosperous times in the U.S. history at that point. Uh, then durable goods, which is just like the government was working for the people at this point. We had the GI Bill. We had the interstate highway. Like, Which like, what? That only works if you take his his filter that he has applied. Of, let's just not think about minorities for this argument. Oh, real yeah. quick. Let's, oh, no, let's, no. Like, we're oh. only talking about white boomers here. Oh, but in the section justice for some becomes justice for many. He talks about all the victories made for the civil rights movement in the forties. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much the only sentence in the book about civil rights. Oh, yeah. What a huge Wait, At one point, he's like, like, pretty much like, you can't deny that life did get better for Black people during this time. And it's like, okay, well, that's a very blanket statement. <laughs> like, if I'm not mistaken, the, the government, like, widely denied GI Bill coverage to Black veterans after World War II. Like, that's part of the reason that redlining was so severe, because black veterans just, like, didn't get government money that they were promised. I didn't know that, but that tracks for what we, for what we know about our nation. Uh, and it tracks for what he probably doesn't know due to his lack of experience with this topic. I don't know how long he was writing this book, but it doesn't feel well-researched enough. It feels like when you're writing an essay for college and you, like, cherry-pick sources to prove your argument without looking at the full scope of what the sources are discussing. See, this is why I equate it to Ben Shapiro. Mm. And because if you quote the DSM-5 enough times, the thing that you can do is uh, quote a scholarly source, and you can quote philosophers, see? And it doesn't actually matter if you misquote the philosophers, because the the way that you can, uh, by simply putting quotes by people who are supposed to be smart and people who are supposed to know what they're talking about, even if you misattribute them, your audience can, uh, you can lend a veneer of uh, academia to your your argument, which will then uh, prove to your audience that you know what you're talking about, when in fact you have no fucking idea what you're talking about, and you're just uh, fucking jerking off onto the page, which I'm doing right now. Like... (laughs) Like, <laughs> that's that's what this book is. Like, Well, he keeps framing it in terms of the 2016 election, and this was published in 2017, right? Like, yeah. it feels like he was just writing it in a fugue state during 2016. I mean, it, it seems like he was in the peak, like, liberal shock uh, that happened in 2016, which, like... How could this have happened? How which, could our great nation have elected such an awful man? Which, like, don't get me wrong, <laughs> I also had, because I was not radicalized at that point. Mm. Um, but, like, Colin yeah, now... You were also 18 years old. I was, I was, at the first half of 20... When, when Donald Trump announced his candidacy, I was legally a child. <laughs> this man was not, and does not have that excuse. This man yeah. was 43. <laughs> this man was... He's a Gen Xer with all of the wisdom that being a Gen Xer confers. 
I don't know if it's neoliberal shock, which we'll talk about neoliberalism later because he talks about neoliberalism as like, which funny enough, he rails against it when he exhibits signs of it. When he is it. When he is it. (laughs) Um, But I don't know if it's neoliberal shock or a cash grab because this was also, this was both post-Trump's election, first year of his presidency, already got a bunch of angry leftists and centrists and neoliberals. And this was during the peak of the OK Boomer phase. And that's that's the reason um, that I uh, uh, that I wanted to read this book is because I was starting to see it cycle back from the Gen Z side of the OK Boomer discussion uh, where and he only brings it up once in the first five chapters. And I'm really excited to talk about it. But there's a fad, especially on TikTok, but also on uh, like Gen Z Twitter, from what I've seen, of people talking about lead poisoning. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And he mentions that at one point in like his annotation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which um, I stupid. <laughs> I cannot speak to the validity of that because I don't fucking know enough about lead poisoning. But um, I, I will, even though please. I don't, because. Well, because he uses well, actually, that's a great transition into the next chapter because we have to, we should move on. And um, it comes up in chapter two, and I it think. does come up in chapter two. Chapter two is called "Bringing Up Boomer," nice. where he cites solid three. Oh, fucking! He's great at one-liners. I will give him that. Well, that's that's the skill you have to do to do like to be an author. Garbage pop analysis is mm. you make it snappy, and then you don't actually really worry about what oh, you're yeah. saying. Uh, oh yeah. Well, so he the sections in this chapter are like. So what elements of the boomers' childhood resulted in their generalized sociopathy as a whole, as adults? Um, And he says, I'm going to, I'll bring them out there and then we'll talk about them. He says, one specific book by a man named Spock that -hmm. resulted in more permissive parenting. Mm -hmm. So people, kids weren't spanked as often. That led to them being sociopaths. My dad is talking about it. They could shit whenever they wanted to, which I guess was... He they does talk about fecal training. <laughs> Switch from breastfed to formula fed, which, what? Well, actually, that's super funny, too, because that was a huge thing in the 50s that um, caused, like, horrible, horrible effects on the third world. Um, which is a, not a term uh, uh, that, that I that, on like underdeveloped we, yeah. and colonized nations because um, companies that uh, made baby formula Nestle Nestle mm. uh, basically lied to mothers in underdeveloped nations who had no means of fact checking this information, mm-hmm. saying that it was better than breast milk, and given you know that it frees up time. labor time, yeah. Uh, for these women who could be like doing other shit. Absolutely. They're going to do that. Mm -hmm. They also sent in uh, company nurses to go work in hospitals and talk to mothers about buying it as salespeople. And it caused like basically like Mm -hmm. epidemics of birth defects. Yeah. And they would give free, for like a free 10 day supply like of formula to, to mothers with infants and the infant would, I don't want to say they got addicted to it, but like that was all that they had been fed. And 
breastfeeding mothers, your milk dries up very quickly if, if you aren't breastfeeding. So then it's like you get a baby hooked on formula and that's all they can have. Oh, I wrote that down as a note. I was like, given what we know about Nestle and formula, is this really the take that you think it is? Well, yeah. But I mean, like, and obviously, like, the formula that was being sold in America, like, they was, found later that the formula that Nestle was selling to... To other places was other, worse. Was a lot worse. It was, like, medically horrible for you. Um, and there was no testing done, but... And it would be polluted usual. by people that didn't have reliable clean water source or no, I'm sorry to make it last longer. It was being diluted. So children were becoming malnourished because they were drinking incredibly diluted formula. Mm -hmm. Also. um, So just like as per usual, Gibney completely ignores a, anything not happening in the U S B colonialism and like how things that happen here have an impact in other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ignores the fact that, well, but my, I just wanted to, please, please. The form it's like, so yes. Okay. <laughs> Nestle formula, the, the sudden Russia formula, very bad. Uh, like, but also like this formula that's being sold in America that was being sold in America at this time that he is blaming for a medical condition, like blaming a medical condition on in part, well, he blames the whole first three chapters are establishing what led to the boomer sociopathic behavior. Really, the switch to formula caused an entire generation. Like, he doesn't even talk about the medical impacts of switching from formula to breast. He nope. just says formula bad. Yeah. He does this repeatedly, and I don't think we're, we're there yet. It might not even be in this section, but later, that's this is when I'll get to go off, when he's like, boomers, sociopaths, also fat. Like, he oh, just oh, yeah. is, like, fucking equating health yep. conditions to sociopathy, which is unhinged. <laughs> like, oh, my grandma has cancer. Well, too bad she was born in 1940. Fuck her. Like, she's a sociopath. <laughs> like, I think one of, I don't know the exact quote, but I think an approximation of it when he gets to the part about blaming obesity on boomers being selfish and saying he that obesity is the term gluttony. Gluttony. That's what it was. It's ridiculous. I think that's in the third chapter. Oh yeah. Oh, we'll okay. get to that. Well, we're we're just getting so excited about how angry this book makes us that we're okay. So the four things in chapter two are boomers weren't spanked enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> boomers drank too much formula and not enough titty. Uh, lead poisoning and TV. Like half of the chapter is spent saying TV bad. Which, in all fairness, like mass media has definitely had like measurable effects on American society. Probably not for the better. But, uh, well, well, like on on actually global society, not just America. He mentions at one point a really interesting study and like the only interesting like actual fact that he brings in to talk about why TV bad. The rest of it is like almost purely conjecture. He talks about this study that there was a town colloquially called Notel that didn't get TV access yeah. for like a couple years after its surrounding communities. They studied the children in that community um, before and after the introduction of TV and found decreased aggression, lowered focus, lower test scores and stuff. Like I was like, sure, you should have led with that. 
Instead of leading with, ugh, the plot lines of television these days are just so vapid. Like, just lead to instant gratification. I think that something that he majorly glosses over is the impact of, like, TV becoming a staple in in people's lives. Like, Mm -hmm. this is, it was something entirely new the, of mm-hmm. course, people didn't know how to regulate their media consumption, how to yeah, know what yeah, they yeah. were like watching too much TV or that it was impacting them. It's like asking a generation that had no way to know how to regular regulate this before any meaningful also, study could have been done to like self-regulate. And it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Also, like blaming people who were children when a thing happened. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. not blaming them, but like, but he's like, he, they were I, also children when this occurred, and I doubt had very much agency as far as how much time they spent in front of the TV. Yeah. So whose fault is it? The greatest generation's fault. Blame yeah. their asses. There's your favorite. They fucked it up. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, he doesn't. I think at one point he says he cites a he cites a statistic, and he does not say what era the statistic is from. He cites a statistic that says, oh, most people spend 50% of their leisure time in front of a television. Fuck yeah. Really? Most people spend half of their free time today. Just don't don't cite anything. Just don't fucking cite anything. Well, he does have, well, he always, the the footnotes, not footnotes, the super, super notes. What are the super numbers? (laughs) I'm not that smart. Mm. Yeah. He does have this long list of sources at the end, but like... But you think a good place to bring up that fact would be in the book, like with a timestamp. Yeah, fuck, you could have literally, you could have footnotes. This. He does have some footnotes, but they're usually to explain away things that sound vaguely shitty that he says. Mm-hmm. Like whatever is a footnote, it's, if it's him to be like, to be clear, I'm not including this group. Like to be clear, this isn't necessarily their fault. Like just backpedaling. <laughs> Anywho's all. Um, I think. Are you ready to uh, move on? That wraps chapter two. Oh, we should probably. And we will, uh, we're going to wrap this episode. Uh, we'll take a short break and then we'll start the next episode where we'll talk about uh, chapter three, Vietnam and the emerging boomer identity. Uh, chapter four, which is. Is that uh, the Empire, Empire of, of self. self? Empire of Self. Jesus Christ. What a weird. <laughs> and uh, chapter five, Science and Sentimentality. Uh, hold on to your tits, guys. This is, this shit sucks. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, Shelby, who have you been this week? You got any pluggables? Oh, Anything oh you want I have, I have, I don't know. I'll give my, I'll throw my Twitter out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I throw my Twitter out there. It's just at Shelby Sola, S-O-L-L-A, that's my name. Yeah, that's all I got to plug. It's mostly capybaras. And, nice. uh It's mostly capybaras. Good. <laughs> that's, all, that's all there is. Al? What? Who have you been? Uh, I don't know who have you been. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've been Al Gropey. You can find me on Instagram at al.gross, that's G-R-O-S, or on my website at alsongropey.com. I don't remember my own website. Um, it's been a long day. Um, and yeah, Colin, who the fuck are you? I'm Colin Orton, he, him, his. You can find me at Twitter at Colin Orton. You can find my Instagram at the 13 colonies, uh, but spelled like my name. Get it? 
Because you're so funny. I'm so funny. Uh, You can follow this podcast at Leftist Lit Pod on Twitter, and you can send us hate mail at gettinginformedpod at gmail.com. Stay safe. Don't read this book. (laughs) Don't go to any uh, neo-Nazi anti-vax rallies on the... First of all, don't go to the Upper East Side. Second of all, don't go to any uh, Nazi rallies up there. Yeah. If you hear that Nick Fuentes is in your city... Uh, don't attend the rally he's hosting unless you're gonna Antifa it, in which case do, but that is not a legal recommendation that is not, uh, anything said on this podcast cannot be I mean, don't, it's not (laughs) illegal to do that just don't commit any crimes in Minecraft in Minecraft, in Minecraft, okay have a lovely day viewers, bye bye